RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Priority One is brought to you by our Patreon supporter, Jim DeVico. We thank him and all our other patrons for their monthly support. Command codes verified. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 369 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, and your weekly report from the Star Trek multiverse, recorded live on Tuesday, June 5th, 2018, and available for download or streaming on Friday, June 8th, at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. I'm Kenna. And I'm Anthony. And Winters is still away in Portugal for a wedding, so we wish him very safe travels, and congratulations to his sister. So, Kenna, why don't you tell us what we've got coming up this week? We're checking out makeup designers Glenn Hetrick and Neville Page's latest Q&A session about character design in Star Trek Discovery. There's a Star Trek opera coming to Orlando, Florida, and a rare Ralph McQuarrie Star Trek model fails to sell at auction, but it's still up for grabs if you have the cash. In Star Trek Online news, the latest expansion, Victory is Life, is now live. Later, Jake and Cookie are here with another look at some great Trek merchandise in the promenade. And after that, we've got a very special interview with the organizers of a Star Trek-themed burlesque show. Of course, as always, before we wrap up the show, we'll open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Captains, those hailing frequencies are always open, and you know we love to hear from you between episodes, so please reach out to us. We're on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast. We're on Twitter at Priority One Pod. You can even send us an email via incoming at Priority One Podcast.com. It's that time, Captains. We have to take a moment to thank our patrons that support this show every month. Without them, we wouldn't be able to keep the lights on, we wouldn't be able to keep the equipment running. And we wouldn't be able to keep this show produced from week to week. So a big thanks to our patrons. Now, if you've been interested in finding out what it takes to be a patron, we encourage you to head over to patreon.com forward slash priority one, where you'll find all of our perks that we offer, including a standalone podcast titled On Screen, where we review some Trekkie and non-Trekkie franchises. Up next is Netflix's original series, or reimagining of Lost in Space. Now, a big shout out to Josh Selig for bumping up his contributions this month. Captains, we understand that a financial contribution may not be possible, but there are other ways that you can help contribute to Priority One Podcast. For instance, share this show from week to week with your fellow Trekkies. When you see us post on Facebook, hit that share button. When you see us post on Twitter, hit that retweet button. Tell your friends that they can get their weekly roundup of Star Trek news right here on Priority One. And don't forget to leave a comment wherever you get your podcasts, like iTunes. Now, let's check out the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. 
I don't know. Then let's trek it out. Last Tuesday, Star Trek Discovery's head of the makeup effects and prosthetics, Glenn Hetrick, and lead creature and concept designer, Neville Page, completely ignored our production schedule and took to Facebook Live to discuss designing Discovery. In the 30-minute Q&A, the pair answered pre-compiled questions from the fans of Discovery. And as would be expected, some delicious hashtag Trek nuggets were plopped in the hashtag Trek sauce. Hetrick has mentioned in previous appearances that the Klingons still have more to offer visually to the audience. When asked which reimagined alien species was the most fun to work on, he reiterated his thoughts on the Klingons, saying, quote, The Klingon Empire, having of course not all grown up on Kronos, but all these different planets, the houses would look incredibly different. We're really just starting. Wait until you see season two. End quote. When asked hypothetically which changes they would make to the Borg, both men became excited about the prospect. And they both agreed that reverence must be paid to the Borg's original design because, quote, we love it so much, end quote. They did, however, have some thoughts on how to make it their own. Page, speaking about the necessity of keeping the spirit of the original design, said, quote, it's kind of reverse engineering why there's tubes and stuff going on in and out of things. It would be to try and make sense of all that and then contemporize that aesthetic and what audiences demand today and expect, end quote. Hedrick said he'd take a, quote, Geiger and steampunk, end quote, approach to the mechanical aspects of the design, but says the organic materials, quote, if some of those limbs are necrotic, is the tube pumping life back into them? Do they change color depending on how long they've been in the collective? How does the body stay alive, end quote. Visually, the most interesting portion of the video came about halfway through when we got our first look at the test shots of a ten-eyed concept Saru. While work on the prosthetics was amazing, the pair discussed in great detail why it was abandoned, and the reasons begin and end with Doug Jones. Neville Page says, quote, Seeing Doug start to perform through it was encouraging. But that was the moment when we realized that we need more of Doug to perform through. Just having his lips, essentially, be Doug, wasn't enough. We all recognized it, so we went back to the drawing board. End quote. Glenn Hetrick echoed the sentiment, saying, quote, The best thing that came out of that test is that it kind of unshackled us from trying to make him look so alien. And now we could make him more relatable, and we can make him more Doug. End quote. In response to the inclusion of background characters, Page was complimentary of the Star Trek fandom, recognizing our passion for the universe. During the discussion, one particular character was brought to the forefront. Hetrick says of the character, quote, We've only seen him in episode one and two at the helm. We've called him Leal. It's a unit that Nev's designed, which is sort of like an augmented hard drive for a human to wear, so it makes their job on a Federation ship easier. And this is one of those types of characters. There's no storyline to go with it yet. Ostensibly, a bunch of different people could wear them, and they can be different colors and do different things. End quote. Stay tuned for more Leal. Warning, this next segment will get you theorizing. Page passed the question, quote, what is one character or creature you'd love to work on that has never been seen on film, end quote, to Hetrick, 
who in turn replied, quote, the one that we both agree on. And if you look closely at promotional things, you may be able to guess at this. But we've already done it for season two, end quote. Page agrees, and Hetrick continues, quote, it has a pretty substantial role in season two, and it is awesome, end quote. Finally, and in the waning moments of the interview, Glenn Hetrick became animated regarding a fan question about the Breen. Hetrick said, quote, no one in the universe, as per Worf, there's literally a line, has ever seen what they look like underneath the refrigeration suits. So that is definitely, as many times as I can put it forth, I want to get one of those refrigeration suits off and see what the Breen look like, end quote. The entire video had so much to offer, so follow the links in our show notes and check it out. Oh man, there's so much to unpack here. Yeah, there is. There really is. I, I'm really excited about the Borg. Are they really gonna put Borg in Discovery? They they put uh, Borg in Enterprise. That's true. Uh, okay, I guess I'm so uh, unpopular opinion time. I'm so bored of the Borg. Um, they were. They were really cool when we first... I've made this argument so many times, probably on this show. I apologize. They were cool when they came out. They were menacing. They were scary. They were a really great sort of villainous, nebulous thing that was out there, you know? You couldn't even focus because it wasn't a villain. It was just this constant threat. Um, and then it just kind of got watered down over time. And then the, the Borg Queen just, like, killed it for me. But when they introduced the concept of the Borg Queen, that was the moment at which the Borg ceased to be in any way threatening to me. Because then it was just a little army of minions. Um, And so maybe they'll do something interesting with it. But if they expect me to believe they're scary, that's going to fall flat. It's going to fall flat. Uh, You know, it's funny. I... I generally like more of everything in Star Trek, but I'm going to have to agree with Kenna on this one. I I think that the Borg were borderline acceptable in Enterprise the way they introduced them. Like, I understood how they fit within the timeline, and what they did was okay, and I, I, I was like, okay, yeah, I could believe that, and, you know, for whatever reason, they, they don't match up that record with what happens later on, but, uh, you know, it's... You know, why keep going back to the well? You know, I mean, there's so much more. And, you know, I, I've watched these guys on, on shows and projects before, and, and they're just so imaginative. Like, you know, and I love their take on the Klingons, but why why the Borg? Why? So I'm going to uh, play devil's advocate here, and I'm going to uh, bring up Voyage Home, right? Or V'ger, right? There is, there's some, there, there in the, in, there's one, a video game that had come out that talked about the origins of the Borg. And you can find that video on YouTube about uh, about where they kind of stem from. But I, I, I kind of like the concept of exploring the history of the Borg. Now, yes, we have had that discussion before about introducing the Borg Queen and that kind of lessened the impact of the Borg. But I want to focus a little bit more on, on what was said in this interview about kind of the, the, the Geiger aesthetic that they would take to the Borg. Now, if you look at a lot of Geiger concept, which which heavily influenced, if not, no, Geiger designed Aliens, didn't he? Yes. Like Ali- the movie Aliens, right? Yeah. Yes, yes. yes. Um, Geiger's style is biomechanical, whereas the Borg are cyborg, where it is, it's, there's, a, there's a strict 
line in the sand between the organic and the inorganic. Whereas Geiger's style tends to be biomechanical. This is it, it the 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 armor is organic. And so I don't see how Geiger would influence Borg in the way that we understand unless the Borg have adapted to make some kind of biomechanical bio armor style thing. Like biomechanical I think of Independence Day, right? Mm-hmm. The aliens in Independence Day, those are biomechanical suits that protect the the soldier inside. Alien, same thing. If you look at the alien ship, biomechanical. Borg though was a was specific marriage of technology and organic which was a which was a, a um an analogy to our own civilization how you know glued we are to technology and how we could be on the path of the borg becoming the borg mm-hmm. so i i hope that they see that i hope that they understand that like they get, they get that concept instead of just trying to make it look cool yeah and don't get me wrong there are there is still i mean i think a a good writer can still tell some good stories about the Borg. Um, they, I think, their place in the Star Trek universe now is less of a menacing, uh, villainous type character. But you're absolutely right. We there's a lot we don't know about how they started, where they came from. Um, and how they gained those footholds in different parts of the galaxy. Um, so there is some storytelling to be done, just as long as they don't expect us to be scared by them anymore. But we've digressed a little bit from the whole um, character design and prosthetics design as well. Am I being thick? Who who do we think is this new character that... that that they're looking forward to bringing back to life. They've said, if you look closely at the promotional things, you might be able to guess. I don't know who they're talking about, and maybe this is a good opportunity. I tell you what, let's ask a community question. Who do you think could be the new character that Glenn Hetrick and Neville Page are talking about bringing back in Discovery Season 2? Or if you don't know, what classic character or species would you like to see resurrected in Season 2? Let us know in the comments section for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO369 or by answering us via our community question post on Facebook or Twitter. Now, Neville Page and Glenn Hetrick may not be the only Trek alum with hashtag Trek nuggets in the proverbial deep fryer. Red Carpet News caught up with the incomparable Sir Patrick Stewart outside of the Park Theatre Gala and asked the former captain if he had watched Star Trek Discovery. His reply was vague and deliciously intriguing. Stewart said, quote, No, I haven't, but I may have good cause to look at it very soon. End quote. Let the treculation begin. We'll have a link to the video in our show notes. Opera is a revered form of the performing arts. And why not? Don Giovanni, Carmen, Star Trek Abduction, The Barber of Seville, La Noce de Figaro. Wait, I'm sorry, wait, I'm sorry. What was that? Star Trek Abduction? (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's right. Because Opera Orlando, formerly known as the Florida Opera Theater, recently performed the Mozart masterpiece, The Abduction, from the Seraglio, with a Star Trek, the original series twist. For those that are unfamiliar with The Abduction from the Seraglio, 
The story is, in its most basic deconstruction, an abduction of European women by Turkish invaders and their rescue by a hero and his companion. Star Trek Abduction, which was adapted by Joshua Shaw, replaces the European women with Orion slave girls, the Turks with the Klingons, and makes Starfleet officers of its heroes, Captain Belmonte and Pedrillo. The production takes liberties with the opera format, becoming more musical than true opera. It forgoes the traditional quiet expected from its patrons, instead asking for audience participation. The adaptation is, according to the Orlando Sentinel, quote, must see TV, or opera, as the case may be. The puns, insider references, and jokes come fast and furious. Nearly all land with genuine laughs, end quote. For a link to the article, which has photos of the performance, check out the show notes. And a big shout out to Lawrence, who also runs Geek Life Rules over in New York City, for sharing this link with us. Ralph McQuarrie's concept work for Star Wars is pop culture legend, and despite our mock rivalry with the other Star series, there is no denying McQuarrie's impact on modern entertainment or the striking beauty of his work. But Star Wars isn't the only feature the American artist helped conceptualize. McQuarrie has worked on several beloved projects, including Close Encounters of the Third Kind, E.T. the Extraterrestrial, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and Star Trek, among others. In addition to his contributions on Star Trek IV The Voyage Home, McQuarrie teamed with the set designer Ken Adam to conceptualize the ill-fated 1976 film Star Trek Planet of the Titans. For his part on the project, McQuarrie was tasked with redesigning the USS Enterprise. His version sported a recognizable saucer section, neck, pylons, and nacelles, but the hull abandoned the rounded Jeffrey's design for a triangular shape, a design that later served as inspiration for the USS Discovery. McQuarrie's design for the never-produced film served as a template for a 15-inch concept model of wood and plastic, and that model had a brief cameo in the Star Trek The Next Generation episode, The Best of Both Worlds Part Two. The film concept-to-screen-used prop went up for auction on May 31st, through Nate D. Sanders auctions, demanding a whopping $40,000 U.S. starting bid, which it did not receive. But that's not all bad news. If you're a collector with $50,000, you can purchase the item without the stress of an auction, right now. And at the time of this recording, whether you can afford the model or not, some of the photos that went along with this auction are beautiful, and it's well worth your time to trek them out. Uh, if you'll excuse me, I just need to check my credit card balance. I'll be right back. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> this is actually interesting because I remember, do you remember way back, we're going back two years, when we first saw that first trailer for Star Trek Discovery and there was absolute uproar over the Discovery. And this is when Brian Fuller was still an executive producer. See, I'm reminiscing now. And he was like, no, it's totally not the final thing. It's still in production. We're still not sure. And everybody's like, yeah, that's the Ralph McQuarrie design from Planet of the Titans. And there's all this controversy. And then it turns out that, yeah, that, that actually was the Discovery. <laughs> oh, those were hmm. good times. All that drama. Hmm. Well, that's it for this week's Star Trek news. Now let's find out what happened this week in the world of Star Trek gaming. Computer status report. Status. 
Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. Victory is Life, the long in-development fourth expansion for Star Trek Online is now available for all captains to play on PCs. To help get yourself more immersed in the story, community manager Mike Ambassador Kel Fatum has posted a list of recommended DS9 episodes along with Victory is Life wallpaper and a defiant schematic wallpaper from Tim Suricata Davies. Check out these links in the show notes to help enrich your Stowe play experience. Now, Captains, we're going to avoid any spoilerific reviews. Also, we have a very special guest planned for next week's episode. But in the meantime, what are your thoughts of the fourth expansion titled Victory is Life in Star Trek Online? Let us know in the comment section for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash 369 or by replying to our community questions post on Facebook or Twitter. Those creating a new Jem'Hadar character will be able to benefit from the Gamma Recruitment event that runs now until July 18th. Similar to the Delta Recruitment event, you'll receive rewards for completing specific objectives, such as reaching level 4 in 6 Duty Officer Commendation categories and reaching level 10 in 3 Admiralty campaigns. Rewards include reputation marks, dilithium, expertise, and a special Admiralty ship card, Odo's Flagship. Other rewards will be unlocked for other characters on your account, and as a special bonus, Jemadar Captains will earn salvage upon defeating enemies, but only during the Gamma Recruitment event. Now, Captains, you're going to need something to open all those brand new Deep Space Nine lockboxes. So from now until June 15th, keys and key bundles will be 15% off in the C-Store. And if Captains on console are feeling left out, don't. For the first time ever, the Delta Recruitment event is now live on Xbox and PS4. As we've mentioned before, the benefits and rewards with having a Delta Recruit in your account are too good to pass up. And this weekend, you'll also be able to earn double technology points in an effort to improve your gear. The Upgrade Weekend event will run from now until June 11th at 10 a.m. on consoles. As we mentioned last week, the Priority One Armada is celebrating its fifth year anniversary as well as its one-year anniversary for its weekly Twitch stream. Just like in years past, we are celebrating for the entire month of June with some incredible events, competitions, and giveaways. In total, there's over 10 billion EC worth of prizes up for grabs. This Saturday, June 9th, the Priority One Armada weekly Twitch stream is giving away a Geordi Hologram Bridge Officer, a TNG Ship Pack, and a Tier 6 Kelvin Timeline D4X Pilot Bird of Prey courtesy of Armada member, Captain Andrew. This Bird of Prey is valued at 450 million EC alone. For your chance of winning any of these prizes, tune into the Twitch stream at twitch.tv forward slash priority one. Also taking place on Saturday for all Armada members is the Rycean 500 event. As you might have guessed, this event takes place on Rysa and is a ground race. The total prize value for this event is over 530 million EC. Then, on June 13th, fly across the galaxy again for another chance to solve the clues and locate Winters in the famous Where's Winters event. This event alone has over 600 million EC worth of prizes each day that the event is run, and over 2.5 billion EC altogether. There has never been a better time to join Priority One Armada. 
So head over to PriorityOneArmada.com and sign up today for even more chances to win some of the great prizes we are giving away. Now, Captains, we want to remind you that Priority One now has a Discord channel. If you'd like to come on and chat about whatever games you're playing, just head over to our show notes at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO369 for the link to that channel. Well, that's it for this week's Star Trek Online and gaming news. Now, let's peruse the promenade with Jake and Cooper. Hey, welcome back. I'm Jake Cobb. And I'm Cookie. And this is The Promenade. Mr. Pentad, hard astern. I'm not losing the USS Modular segment today. What's he doing now? Mr. Dr. Hurt, fire. Oh, Captain Cobb, you're so brave. Not now, ladies. Mr. Pented, bring us closer to the USS Prioritas. When we get within range, scan for life signs, Dr. Cakes. Aye, aye, Captain. <laughs> hey, Jake, what you doing? Um, I just, uh, I'm reading. Okay, because it looks like you're playing with your toys again. They're action figures. Uh-huh, okay. I mean, let's get to it. By the way, you totally ripped this bit off from Spaceballs. I said, let's get to it. So, that was embarrassing. So embarrassing, as a matter of fact, that now I feel no shame in pushing my current favorite Star Trek action figures, Mega Constructs. Mega Constructs Heroes Wave 2 has landed, and with it comes ripped shirt James T. Kirk and blood fever Spock. If you'll recall... Mega Constructs Heroes are two-inch action figures released by Mattel and sport ball-jointed head, shoulders, and hips, as well as cut elbows, hands, and knees. There's a pudgy proportion to the line, but it works great, and they can be posed in a variety of action-packed poses. So, Mm -hmm. is it Constructs or is it Constructs? I think it's a regional thing. (laughs) (gasps) Okay, (laughs) just curious. Okay. Ripshirt Kirk, a staple in any Kirk figure collection, is a simple repaint of the Guardians of Forever set, which featured the good captain wearing his gold command uniform. This time around, however, he's rocking a torn shirt and chest wound left by Spock's horn... um... Ponfarage. Spock is the same figure that was included in the Enterprise Bridge set, which has the Vulcan in his traditional blue science uniform. Mega added the purple sash, however, and he looks ready to murder his friend for some... ah... um... Ponfar. Both little guys come with the previously mentioned buildable lerpas and display bases, while Kirk comes with a communicator and Spock with his trusty tricorder. I've got to admit that I wasn't thrilled when these figures were announced. I mean, repaints this early in the line. But like I've said earlier, you really can't have a TOS figure line without a chest-cut Kirk, and the addition of Spock gives casual fans that didn't want to buy the Enterprise bridge set, which was about 50 US dollars upon release, an opportunity to pick up a non-Mirror Universe Mr. Spock. These can be found at most major retailers for about five US dollars. Pro tip, if you have a Toys R Us around, be sure to check there first. I was able to pick mine up for three US dollars. Recently? Yeah. Boy, I thought they were all like gone now. No. I thought they got all cleaned out. Oh. Well, that's pretty cool. You saved two dollars. Two dollars each. Ooh, yeah. Hey. Bought myself a coffee. <laughs> and no, but these things are great. Did you have you looked at them? Yep. And what do you think? Well, besides the fact that the chest scar looks like turkey bacon, 
<laughs> on Kirk. Yeah. It's, they need, <laughs> I don't know. The faces look pretty accurate. The faces look pretty good. I mean, it does look like James T. Kirk, and that does look like Spock. For a two-inch figure, too, I mean, yeah. the promo stuff looks a little better, but, I mean, for a two-inch figure, they're really not bad at all. Yeah. And they're cool. I can just throw them in a drawer or whatever, and if people who don't know what a geek I am come over, <laughs> just whoop, in the drawer they go. See, thanks to you and your great coverage skills of these mega, con- what is it, constructs? Network. Constructs? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have the Captain Picard and the Borg in with my Lego set. Oh, nice. Do you like it? I do like it. I built a house for Captain Picard and his little Borg, too. (laughs) (laughs) We'll talk about the house later. (laughs) So I definitely want to get these. They work well with regular Legos or even off-brand Legos, which is half of what I have. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I like... I definitely like it. I want to get it. It's cool. Yeah, the accessories are good. The shirt looks good. The face looks good. The pants look good. Hey, do you know what rhymes with pants? No, what? Scants. Oh, it does. How do you feel about scants, Jake? They're good. Um, I can't wear them. Why not? My legs are hairy. I think that's allowed, Jake. For those of you who don't know what we're talking about, they're a short sleeve version of a TNG uniform, except it's a dress. Well, like a short dress. And they were worn primarily in the first season of Star Trek The Next Generation, but a little here and there after that as well. And now ThinkGeek has put out a version of their own. These scants were cut for the female form, but ThinkGeek recommends them for all genders, since that's how they were worn on the show. But they suggest that you pay extra attention to the size chart before ordering, especially for guys. I don't know, this product is so new there aren't a lot of reviews, so we don't really know how that will actually go. When I look at them, it looks like... It's for smaller frames. The shoulders seem pretty narrow. Yeah. So I'm not sure how that's actually going to work. It comes in all three colors, Command Red, Operations Gold, or Sciences Blue. It does not include a comm badge or rank pips, so it's just a blank slate. You have to add that yourself. One thing to note is that they claim the fabric color is matched to the original Season 1 colors, but as usual with the blue-teal color, I don't feel that it matches to what we saw Deanna Troy wearing in the actual show. It's more like a bright blue. Mm -hmm. And she did not wear a bright blue. But that's to be expected at this point. Hardly anyone gets that right anymore. So, guess how much they are. Don't Uh, look at the thing. Okay. Uh, You already did. Yeah, I did. $65. (laughs) No. $250. What? I know. Isn't that really expensive? What? So, if anybody out there buys one of these, any of you listeners, you have to tell us how it fits. And also, if you want to send pictures, that'd be great. Because it's a lot of money to be throwing down. It sure is. 250 bucks and you don't even get the pips or the com badge? Right. That's cray. (laughs) And guess what the material's made out of? Polyurethane. Jumbo spandex. Whatever that means. I don't know what the jumbo part means. It sounds like a party. Yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> so there you have it. My legs are hairy. Links to the items discussed can be found in the show notes, so please be sure to check them out. Have any comments about the segment or anything discussed herein? We would love to hear them, so let us know what you think on Twitter, Facebook, or in the comments section. And remember, you keep an eye on the stars, 
We'll keep an eye on the market. Until next time. Now, Kenna and Elijah have a special interview with Greta Grenada and Jada, the organizers behind an upcoming event in Philadelphia. Security clearance level 3 or above is required to access files. This is Captain Benjamin Sisko. Authorization Sisko Alpha 1 Alpha. Logs accessed. Captains, we often talk about amazing events that happen in our local areas that involve Star Trek. And a few months ago, I had the opportunity of catching a Trek-lesque show, a Star Trek-themed burlesque show in Philadelphia. Well, it turns out it wouldn't be the last, because joining us today to talk about an upcoming event titled The Enterprise Strips Back, a Star Wars versus Star Trek burlesque, are organizers Greta Grenade and Jada. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having us. Thank you. So first, I think we need to talk a little bit about what burlesque is and how it compares to other styles of performance art. Sure. So, I mean, I guess in a nutshell, burlesque is the art of the tease. Um, so most of the acts, you know, will involve some level of strip tease, removal of the clothing um, is kind of what it boils down to. But I think what um, what we do as both for in Treklesque and then the show that I co-produce um, for Star Wars, it's what's called Nerdlesque. And so it's definitely more in kind of the nerdy themes um, is where you'll, that's why you'll see some of the, maybe a little wackier, um, a little bit more fun and crazy um, elements that get incorporated into it that pull references from, from these movies or in some cases it's, you know, it could be from a comic um, depending on what the theme is. Yeah, one of the things I like about Burlesque, too, is that the performers are basically creating their act, as we call them, from scratch. So often that mm -hmm. includes making the costume, picking a song, maybe actually having a song recorded for them, like deciding on choreography. It's like we get to put all aspects of the act together, which makes Burlesque kind of unique in the performing arts scene. Um, you know, if you're doing like a play, or something along those lines, you're, you're probably not doing all those aspects. So that's what that's what I think about it. Absolutely, yeah. And it's um, I also like that there's a lot of room for individual creativity. So for example, um, I'm actually a belly dancer. Um, that was my original kind of art form that I performed in. And um, I've been able to incorporate a lot of those elements into my burlesque act. So it's, it's something a little different. So I like that people get to kind of bring their personalities to the stage. So can you ask, answer a question for people like me who have never been to a burlesque show? Is it one cohesive performance or is it separate acts? Like what is a what is a typical evening at a burlesque show? Like what is it like? I kind of want to say there is no typical evening at a burlesque show. Um, <laughs> Fair <laughs> answer. It varies by the production. There are productions that will do like a script and have like an act storyline and the acts fit in. Um, then there are, are other burlesque shows that are maybe general themes, so you can mm -hmm. see like literally anything, and it, it pro they probably don't go together. Um, our shows are somewhere in between. It is not necessarily a storyline, but since it's so heavily themed, the acts definitely tend to flow into one another in that they take place in the same world or they're a part of the same franchise. Um, so like you go to our shows knowing, oh, I'm gonna see a bunch of Marvel acts, or I'm going to see a bunch of Star Trek acts. Um, but there's not necessarily a storyline thread through each act. Um, I will say, though, Darkseid, who I've partnered with for the upcoming show, their shows are um, 
they, I feel like Jada, you guys have a little bit more of a storyline only in that since everyone is so into the theme, uh, we tend to pull other performers to do cameos in our acts. So, you know, <laughs> I, I, did, I did their Lord of the Rings show, for example, and I was Frodo and I ended up being in like four of the other acts just because they were like, oh, I want to pull like a little Frodo cameo in. And so even though there wasn't like a script, it definitely made it feel super cohesive and it made it feel like a world building experience, which was cool. Yeah, and it was weird. Kyla Ren is my co-producer for the Dark Side Burlesque shows, and we were both super, super nerdy and get into the themes, and, and we tend to get lucky with that in that our cast members are, are the same way. So, like Greta said, you know, we will, like, pull in a lot of cameos, and it the finished product makes it look like we purposely scripted it that way, when I, in reality, you know, it was really just kind of these little one-off uh, cameo appearances, but it really does help tie everything together and have it makes it look like there's a theme that runs throughout now jada you mentioned that uh you are in fact a trained be belly dancer talk to us a little bit about the backgrounds of your performers um i mean do you do this full time is there a day job you know what ki what kind of background do these performers have when they come into this these productions um there's a pretty wide range um for me personally um i absolutely i, I do have a day job um i guess I just don't really sleep much. Um, but, uh, the, you know, the day job, it's, I'm in marketing. So, um, you know, it's, it does come in handy to have the marketing skills when it comes to promoting shows that I'm in. But, um, you know, for the most part, it doesn't really directly relate to what, what I do in terms of nightlife. But, um, you know, I do a lot of belly dance gigs throughout the city. And burlesque is something that I started doing um, about two years ago. And so, you know, it's fun to kind of combining the two. Um, but I'd say, you know, we do have performers in our community that perform full time or in some some form of the arts um, as a full time thing. And then others, um, you know, have have day jobs. So you'll, you'll see a pretty wide range of of, of um, you know, professions, I think, in this in this world. So speaking of um, the performers and everybody coming together, now I wanted to switch and talk a little bit about Treklesk, which was a couple months ago now. Um, tell us about the inspiration for that. How did that start to come together? And, and how did you find the right performers to put together for that production? So Treklesk is something that I started with my production company called Saintly Bomb. Um, we actually started in Los Angeles, where I used to live, with my producer, Mercury Troy. Um, and basically what happened was, we, she was a huge Trekkie, um, and I had actually never seen it. And this was probably like five or, five or six years ago now. I had never seen a Star Trek show or a movie or anything. And, she, and we were super close friends, and she was like, listen, like, you need to watch it. I can't like, be friends with you. <laughs> Star Trek. So she showed it to me and I was just like, my mind was blown. Like I was obviously always a fan of like sci-fi and fantasy and, and I don't know how it had slipped to me, um, slipped fast. But so we watched it together. We watched like all of the movies and then I went off and watched the shows on my own. Um, and we just decided like LA needs Star Trek for less. It, we need Star Trek for less. <laughs> um, we started watching in Los Angeles. We had a couple versions there. And I moved to Philadelphia back in September, so almost a year ago now. And when I moved here, I like almost the first thing I noticed was that no, even though there was nerdy burlesque here, no one was doing Star Trek. And I was like, no, like I, I can't go back to a life without Star Trek. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, I started producing here, and I was like, 
that was the first thing I wanted to do was bring Star Trek burlesque, you know, to Philadelphia. So now we are a bi-coastal show. I am so very grateful for that because I live I live an hour from Philly and an hour from New York and all the nerdy Star Trek stuff happens in LA and I'm so jealous and I'm so grateful yeah. that you brought it you brought it to Philly. I did. I flew it all the way all <laughs> across the country. See by contrast <laughs> I'm upset now because I only just moved to the LA area and now it's gone. <laughs> well, it's not gone forever. We do want to do it again in LA because my, my co-producer for Trek Less actually still lives there. Uh, uh, so hopefully we'll see it in LA again soon. Well, um, I hope so because I would love to see it. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the inclusivity and, and body positivity that um, I saw at the Trek Lesk show. Um, because these are performers from all walks of life. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, so it's always been a really important part of my productions to make sure that our cast is as inclusive as possible, you know, including performers of color, performers of size, performers of all kinds of experience, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so we work really hard to make sure that we are including everyone who wants to be a part of it. And it's actually something I think that the Philadelphia burlesque scene in general is pretty good about. Um, it's more inclusive than I'm used to seeing, which is a nice uh, change of pace for me. But, you know, we, we just always say that Star Trek is, by, or sorry, trek is by fans for fans. And we want to include all kinds of fans. We don't want there to be gatekeeping for whatever reason, because everyone deserves to come and enjoy something as, you know, glorious as Star Trek burlesque. <laughs> Now, why do you think that these franchises bring such a lore to a performance art such as this, um, Star Wars and Star Trek? Because you had a great turnout um, at the last Treklesk event here in Philly. Yeah, I, <laughs> I always think that it's because we grew up with these characters and they, for many people, actually were a part of our sexual awakening. Um, Star Wars <laughs> definitely was for me because, like I said, I didn't get into Trek until later in my life. and. You know, the allure of seeing like a character that I've idolized my entire life come to life in like a larger than life setting is like, that's really great. You know, I also come from a cosplay world. And so it's like when you're walking around a convention and you see someone dressed as your favorite character, especially if they're like kind of obscure, it, it like makes your day. And so getting to go to a show where you're seeing characters not on a screen but characters in real life where you can actually like then go talk to them and you know find out what they're about and like admire their costume it just makes it feel very immersive and it makes it feel real and so like for me trek last kind of and like the star wars star wars burlesque and all of those nerdy shows kind of makes these like characters that i've loved my whole life come to life in a new way so actually, you guys have a, a show that's coming up here uh, in the relatively near future that is uh, Star Wars and Star Trek together. Is that right? It's a battle show. It <laughs> is. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, w tell us more about that because that sounds fascinating. No pun intended. <laughs> well, we just felt like once and for all we needed to finally figure out the answer of which is the better fandom, Star Trek or Star Wars. <laughs> so we are bringing in performers who represent both sides, and we are going to have a battle with real-life judges who will decide the fate of who the winner is. Ooh, can yes. I be a judge? Can I be a judge? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> that would absolutely make Elijah's day. <laughs> I feel like it might be biased a little bit. <laughs> that may be the case, yes. That, that may, may be, be true. true. 
Our we would love to see you at the show, though. I and definitely, you know, come dressed up and rep your rep your team. Um, the three judges that we have, it, we actually lucked out. Um, we have three fabulous performers in our scene that were actually part of both of our shows. So we f- we felt that because they were passionate about both franchises, that they would be um, great judges for us. So it's an all-out battle royale between uh, Star Trek and Star Wars. The performers that will be there, how long have they been rehearsing and planning their performances? We booked this show five months ago at this point. Um, yeah. We, both of us really like to give our performers time to prepare, especially when creating a nerd out less act because you want that costume to be like so accurate and you want like the you know, performer to have time to understand how the character moves and how they act. Um, so we both like to give our performers a lot of time. Um, we actually have a couple of returning performers. Uh, one of the performers who was in Trek Lusk is going to be repping Star Trek this time. And then uh, I think all of the Star Wars, no, most of the Star Wars side were actually in uh, Dark Side's latest Star Wars show. What was it called, Jada? Star Wars? It was with the the asterisk and the over the O. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we like pulled back some. We pulled some performers who had repped both sides individually, and then we grabbed a couple of new performers, you know, so that we could round out our cast in that way. Right, and two of the performers, um, including me and um, one of the other performers, were in the other show, but we're doing different characters in this upcoming show. Nice, very cool. Yeah, I'm excited about it. Now, tell us about that show. Tell us when it's going up and where people can get tickets and find out more information. Sure. It is um, Sunday, June 24th at a place called Frankie Bradley's, and that's in Philadelphia. Um, if you, you can actually find our event page on Facebook. Um, you can also go to the Frankie Bradley's website. We'll have it linked in the show notes. Okay, yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. Um, but yeah, your best bet will be go to the Frankie Brothers website or the Enterprise Strips Back event page on Facebook. And how much are tickets? And is there uh, an age restriction? Uh, Frankie Brothers uh, is far, so it should be 21 plus. Um, yes. If you buy your tickets in advance, it's going to be $12 for a general admission or $25 for a VIP, which comes with a drink and you get to take a picture with the cast, which is always a really good time. And then if you buy your tickets at the door, it's, it's $15 cash only. Now, when, when someone thinks burlesque, they think about, you know, the, the like you mentioned earlier, the teasing, removal of articles of clothing and whatnot, but not all the performers do that, right? And I remember in the Treklesque show, uh, you also had performers that, that just got up and sang or did a reading. Yeah, we were actually really lucky to have the Roddenberries, who is a Star Trek um, parent oh, yeah. band here in Philadelphia. They joined us for the Trek Lusk show. Um, three of their members joined us, and they went by the Spock stars from the Roddenberries that night. Um, but yeah, so we had some singers, and then my act did include my co-producer who read Star Trek fan fiction while I did the act. Um, yeah, burlesque here doesn't have to just be burlesque. Burlesque shows also incorporate drag and sideshow and variety, like magic, um, you know, fire eating, all kinds of stuff. It's it's definitely a very welcoming scene where even if like burlesque specifically isn't what you do, we still want to put you on stage. 
Are you referring to the McCoy erotic fiction? <laughs> I am. I do remember that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and along the same lines, um, you know, of personal interest to me, do you have men performing burlesque or is this a women only type oh, thing? We have men as well. Okay. Uh, burlesque does tend to be a pretty female space. Yeah. Um, but we do, there are male performers, there are non-binary performers, there are trans performers. It's, you know, it might be a, fem- a generally female-driven space in a lot of areas, but as females, we tend to be very welcoming, and like we want everyone to be a part of it with us. It goes back to what we were talking about with inclusivity, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. I, yes. I, nobody who would ever be turned away, obviously, unless they're like extenuating circumstances, but it's like... <laughs> We want to give a space to everyone who wants it. That's really good. So who is going to be performing in this upcoming event on June 24th? We have an awesome lineup. Um, We have, of course, myself, Greta Grenade, and my co-producer, Jada, both of whom you spent the last half hour listening to. Um, We have our other co-producer, Kyla Wren, and their duet partner, Genome Kelly. We have Femme Appeal from New York City, so it's not just Philly, which is always fun. We have Mustang Mayhem, Masochist, Renaissance Noir, and Honey Tree Evil Eye. And then our judging panel is The Amazing Bretzo, America Online at AOL.com, and Boogaloo Boogie. And then of course, because the MC is super important, we have Flirt Vonnegut and Veronica Vicious as our stage referee. Eliza, we have fallen down in our selection of stage names. We have, we have, (laughs) we have. We need to up our game, those are amazing. Thank you. Well, I want to thank you both for stopping by on this episode of Priority One Podcast. We look for, I look forward to the event and hope to see very many more uh, in the Philadelphia and East Coast area. And um, LA area, eventually. <laughs> yes, hopefully we'll be able to return to the LA area after. Thanks again for stopping by. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, this is the part of the show where we open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Episode 368's community question was, what would you design as a Star Trek-themed ride? From Patreon, Jim DeVico says, Oh my God, where do I begin? I could create an entire Star Trek land. First, I'd start with a themed hotel. You can choose a room decked out in TOS or TNG-era decor. Next, I'd open a Haunted Mansion-type ride through DS9. Of course, there has to be a roller coaster, so that would be an enclosed course taking the riders through a battle with the Borg in an attempt to save Earth. Next would be a simulator ride starting with the Battle of the Binary Stars, then zip to a recreation of the Balance of Terror-type fight and ending with a Dominion War scene. Of course, there would have to be a bridge and transporter simulation experience thrown in there, and we haven't even gotten to the dining experience. Come eat at Starfleet Academy Cafeteria and mingle with aliens from all races. Jim, I love this idea. This is brilliant. Jim, I'm disappointed that instead of a Starfleet Academy, it's not, it's not, um, what's his face? Uh, Ethan Phillips making food. Oh, Neelix. Neelix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Why, uh, yeah Neelix is the chef. Well, this is it. For a Star uh, for a Star Trek land, you'd have need to have multiple places. So you would probably have Quarks. You would have Ten Forward. You would have 
I don't know what they call the mess hall on Voyager, but yes, definitely. I love that you can tell that there's a little bit of a, a that I could tell that Jim DeVico loves Disneyland. I'm not sure that he does, but I could. This sounds like Disneyland. Well, because he's made the the haunted mansion reference, and it, it occurs to me actually when I was reading that that. We were talking last time about like roller coasters and stuff, but you know, if you think about the rides at Disneyland, half of them, like the Snow White ride, are they're just sort of, you know, experience rides, story rides that are not necessarily thrill rides like you'd get at Six Flags, but it's still, you know, um, theme parky things. And may- maybe that's something that we could do. I don't know. I think that it also is about the immersive experience. So it doesn't always have to be rides either. It just has to be places where you can go and experience what it would be like in these locations in Star Trek. Nice. Via Patreon, David S. writes in, I would have to think bigger than just one ride. A theme park is more than just rides. They are other kinds of experiences. You could have Klingon Shakespeare plays going on, Borg laser tag, Star Trek bridge crew experiences, shops with uniforms and other memorabilia, the DS9 promenade with restaurants based on different Star Trek races, holograms of the doctor singing opera, Neelix's kitchen restaurant, yeah, and on and on and on. That's you know, he just he just echoed the same point that you guys made. Yeah, I d- I love it. I love the idea of there being a like a Deep Space Nine style promenade with different restaurants, like a like a food court, but like you could have like the different sort of themed restaurants based on the different races. I love that idea. I love it. From PriorityOnePodcast.com, Joshua Selig writes, I would like to see an immersive ride where you play a particular character on a mission made for the ride. You encounter less well-known characters such as Akarin and Gary Seven while trying to save time by facing off against the time-traveling Nakul led by a rogue Federation temporal agent known as Admiral Aster Winters? Maybe? (laughs) This is interesting because there's... there's Things like escape rooms or adventure rooms. And I think that this would be very similar to that. I've been to a couple uh, here close by where you go in and it's usually like a three room experience and there's puzzles to solve and there's different things. And I think that would be a great idea to do that in Star Trek style. Yeah, kind of that immersive, like, uh, puts you in the role. It's, that's one of the things that they're talking about, I know, with uh, the Star Wars like hotel experience and it's kind of like a role playing thing that they're going to that they're talking about and that that could be really cool certainly i think it would uh satisfy those of us who are big star trek fans from facebook jt echebaron says similar to space mountain but a warp speed ride that takes off from ds9 goes through the wormhole and ends back at ds9 or a roller coaster modeled after the romulan shuttlecrafts and nemesis maybe something similar to the tron ride in the overseas disney park Oh my god, that Tron ride in the overseas. It's in Japan. I think it's in Japan. I want to fly to Japan just to ride that ride because I love Tron. And that's a good idea. I love this one. I feel disappointed in myself because when we were talking about it last week, I like couldn't come up with any ideas. I was like, I don't even see how Star Trek could be made into a theme park. And dude, we got some really good suggestions. I am I am very impressed with our listeners. So Universal, if you're listening, we have some ideas. Yeah, come and talk to us. We charge a very small commission. Very small. From Twitter, Hayden Jones says, Star Wars has a VR game where you get to physically walk in the environment. I would want that, but with a Stowe-like experience. So for Star Trek Online. 
That'd be awesome. God, I and would love Star I, Trek Online in VR. Uh, I've got... So I, I've played Star Trek Online with my Oculus Rift at Henry's suggestion. Um, it's cool, but if it was 3D... And I remember Star Trek Online back in the day was coded and, and designed to also work in 3D. I wonder if there's a setting that I don't know about that would allow it to pop out if I have my VR headset on. But anyway, I digress. Hi, this is Chris Keen, and I'd like to weigh in on community question for episode 368. What Star Trek theme park ride would you have? Um, what I would do is I would get a big room that would hold about 50 people, uh, maybe put some of that Elkar's rubbish all over the walls, you know, maybe a view screen, a uh, couple of cast photos maybe. Um, and as people came in, um, they would each get a futuristic, really fancy mammo-jammo uh, pedometer, which they would clip onto their collar of their shirt, T-shirt, sweatshirt, or whatever. And then um, a klaxon would sound, and it would see uh, how many... Uh, Picard maneuvers you could rack up in say 60 seconds I think that would go down a storm so let me get this straight Chris Keen is saying that we all get into a room and, and, and what we're wearing like a pedometer and, and we just have to do this you have to just the Picard maneuver like <laughs> yeah as many times as possible in a minute it would be not unlike uh, you know Buzz Lightyear's Space Ranger spin or whatever where you have to shoot targets and stuff it's just you just have, you know, you have to pull your, you have to tug your shirt repeatedly. Fascinating. It could be done. Um, Chris, you've had better ideas. Love you. <laughs> Keep trying, though, dude. <laughs> <laughs> we only say that because Chris Keen is an awesome, awesome friend of the show. Uh, and we know that we can, um, we can rib on him a little bit that way. So thank you so much for the voicemail. Chris, we've missed your voicemails. Where have they been? Where have they been? They have to come back on a regular basis. But thank you for the voicemail. Now, Captains, if you're interested in leaving us a voicemail, just head on over to PriorityOnePodcast.com. There's a widget called Speak Pipe. It will allow you to leave us a voicemail right through your computer. Very easy. And we encourage you to do so because we love to hear from you from week to week. Well, that wraps up episode 369 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. For more great podcasts like Mission Log, Women at Warp, and The Trek Files, visit podcasts.roddenberry.com. But before we go, here's a reminder of our community questions this week. What character do you think is being revived by Glenn Hetrick and Neville Page for season two of Discovery? And if you're not sure, who would you like to see? And what are your first thoughts for Expansion 4, Victory is Life, in Star Trek Online? Captains, you know that we'd love to keep those hailing frequencies open between our episodes, so be sure to comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO369. And when Jake posts the community question on Facebook and Twitter, be sure to reply. That's Facebook.com forward slash PO369. Priority One Podcast, and Twitter at Priority One Pod. 
Don't miss a thing from the Star Trek multiverse. Catch our episodes every Friday by pointing your favorite podcast app to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. You can even join in on the fun while we record our episodes live on Tuesday nights at around 11.30 Eastern on Facebook. Keep an eye on our social media channels for details. And if that wasn't enough, you can join us in Star Trek Online in the Priority One Armada. If you're interested, just head over to PriorityOneArmada.com and sign up today. And don't forget that every Saturday night, the Armada takes to our Twitch channel, where we review the latest Star Trek Online and Armada news, as well as highlighting some of our amazing members in our community. Each week, we team up with you, the viewers, and earn things like reputation marks and dilithium. With regular giveaways, there is something for all Stowe players, new and old. Follow us on twitch.tv forward slash priority one. This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by our patrons through patreon.com. Find out more and add your support at patreon.com forward slash priority one. Even if you can't make a financial contribution, please help spread the word about the show and invite your fellow Trekkies. It's your support that keeps us going. Don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency Podcast at GuardFrequency.com. Each episode, the Guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And Heroes Rise brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons & Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern. Head over to HeroesRisePodcast.com to discover their secrets. Thanks to our audio team led by Michael McDonald, with assistance from Brandon Parker and Jake Morgan, with additional support from Midnight Shadow 7 of Holosuit Media. And of course, a very special thanks to Jake Morgan, our producer here at Priority One Podcast, for helping us write our scripts and spearheading our social media platforms. Thanks to our graphic artist and web designer, Henry Pomper. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. Thanks to Patreon associate producers, Navy Boats Lou and Jim DeVico. Most importantly, A big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, and our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Shields up. Engage. I'm Elijah. And I'm Bill S. Preston Esquire. 69, dudes! (laughs) And I know Kung Fu. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm sorry. sorry. (laughs) It's been a really long day. (laughs) Oh, Oh, God, he's got his angry face.
pants on. Look at him. <laughs> I said it was the last time I was gonna do that joke and I didn't. I apologize. <laughs> Excellent! Opera is revere is a revere film. Nice delivery of that first Opera. one though. That was awesome. I know, I know. Opera. 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 Okay. Opera. Oprah. Opera. Opera. Opera is a revered form of the performing arts. Okay. That is also true. Stop laughing at my Italian. Okay. Nobody, nobody account, said anything like that out loud. <laughs> Ralph McQuarrie's concept for... Mm, Ralph McQuarrie's concept... Sorry. <laughs> that was the one, too. That was the take. It's ruined. I can't believe it. Anyway. Ralph McQuarrie's concept work for Star Wars is pop culture legend, and despite our mock wobbly podcast dot Roddenberry dot com, the Roddenberry Podcast Network.